Sal Berry. I like talking, which is funny because I hate the sound of my own voice. There's a paradox for you. And Tim Parrish. So note to self, if you ever promote a show, hire a live band. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about my adventures at the 2022 Fall Sport Card Expo in Toronto. I've wanted to go to this show for about as long as I started collecting cards again around 2006. So about 15, 16 years. And I finally got to go. And I have a lot of thoughts. Mostly good thoughts, very happy thoughts. I had a great time. We'll talk about that. Tim, how you doing? I know you are watching a lot of the expo from afar, but how are things this week, this day? Well, it's still Monday, at least for a few more hours. So ask me again on Friday. I might have a completely different answer. Yeah, Friday, I can always find the energy to stay up a little later. You know, that's when I'm like, oh, three-hour movie? I got the energy for that. It's 10 o'clock. Sure, I'll do it. Why not? I'll just make some popcorn, right? And then, yeah, I can always find that extra wind on a Friday if I don't have to get up early the next day and I don't have to be anywhere. Good for you. If I don't have rehearsal, I'm usually, like, passed out dead by 9, 9 p.m. on a Friday. I know. So. You know, that's, like, the sign of, like, well, no, that's the thing. I don't want to go to bed at 9 o'clock on Friday. I just don't necessarily want to go I, out. I don't late. want to either. I just end up falling asleep. And then I wake up the next morning at 6 a.m. going, it's Saturday. Why am I awake at 6 a.m.? And then I'm mad right. at myself. So, I just don't like it when there's like sucks a hockey doubleheader. And I'm like falling asleep during the third period of like a Kings-Ducks game. And I'm like, but I want to see what happens. And then I'm like, I, I keep nodding off. I, I actually... I, I mean, this is a sign of getting old. I nodded off during a hockey game. I, like, fell asleep, and it was about to go to the shootout. And then the next thing I know, I woke up, and they're like, Kings won. And I'm like, oh, how did that happen? <laughs> Sucks getting old. One thing, though, that's nice about getting old, uh, especially if you play your cards right, pun intended and unintended at the same time, is that you have a little more disposable income, and you could do things like fly to Toronto for a weekend, stay in a hotel, and go to a card show and spend money at said card show. Uh, yeah, how about I did. that? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you this just right off the bat. I did not spend all the money I brought with me. And what? It, now, I would have had no trouble spending all the money at the first table I saw or the second table I saw. Or I could have just gone to Plastic Man's table and bought like three things because he was there because this was oh, the backyard. Plastic Man was there. Plastic Man was there. For those of you who have not heard us talk about Plastic Man in the past, he is a dealer from Canada who has a lot of gorgeous hockey cards. But what he does is he puts them all out on the table, and then he throws these big plastic tablecloths over them. And he comes to the Chicago shows all the time. He'll be at the National, and he'll be at the Chicago Sports Spectacular. He always comes to those. And so over time, we started calling him Plastic Man because he puts plastic over everything. And he has like signs that say, do not lift the plastic or do not put your hands <laughs> under the plastic yeah. to look at the cards, you know, so you have to ask for everything. And then he has to lift up do, the plastic sheet. Do not then, look at like, the plastic. The do not question right. me about the plastic. Do not ask what the plastic is for. And do not taunt Happy Fun Ball. Yeah. But, you know, honestly, I didn't have a chance to look at his cards because... Honestly, I could have used another day to be there. I went all day Thursday. Well, it was only four to eight on Thursday. 
Friday it was like 11 to 8. Saturday it was 10 to 6. And uh, Sunday I didn't go, but it was like 10 to 5, I think, on Sunday. I didn't go because then I would have had to stay another night at the hotel, and I didn't necessarily want to do that because I couldn't really imagine wanting to, like, stay in Toronto Sunday night. I was just like, ah, you know what? Because then I wouldn't get home till like Monday afternoon and I kind of had things I wanted to do Monday, but whatever. So you pick your battles. I would rather go Thursday on preview night than Sunday, like when the show's wrapping up. Because as you, you could know, have always like gone and since it ends at five, you could have got like a late flight, just checked out of the hotel, went to the show and then left. You're absolutely right. And the thing is that all the late flights, and I'm not exaggerating, the plane ticket cost jumped by $400. Really? Yes. That's crazy. Yes. My ticket back was about 150. So 150 is doable. 150 is very doable. It's about 100 to get there. 100, yeah, with taxes and stuff like 120, and I think getting back was about 150. So it was under 300 round trip. Now I did have to check luggage both ways, but still, I mean, we're looking at less than 400 dollars round trip, including taxes, including checked luggage. I have no complaints about that whatsoever. Far cry uh, from my glory days of flying to Vegas for 49 bucks both ways. Oh, wow. Both ways for 49 bucks. But yeah. the thing is, is that everybody flies to Vegas and there's probably a flight to Vegas every hour. Easily. Toronto, it's a little more every couple of hours. Like very frequently, I flew out at 730 on Thursday. I like taking that first thing in the morning kind of flight. You know, because you got to get there two hours early, earlier for security stuff. And so I don't mind that. I like getting that first flight. The first flight never seems to get delayed. It's always like those afternoon flights where the 12 o'clock flight becomes a two o'clock flight. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've never so, flown to Canada before. I've only ever driven to Canada. And that was so long ago, you didn't used to need a passport. So now that you do, is it any different going through like TSA if you're flying internationally or is it the same oh, tsa is still tsa you still got to remove your shoes and your belt unless you have like a, a yeah, yeah, pre-approval yeah. from tsa you gotta you know you gotta take out your laptop which is something new usually my bag would just go through with my laptop computer now it's like they want your laptop and your cell phone anything with batteries it's got to be out there yeah i mean it's definitely more stringent if you're going international or when you're coming back to the U.S., it's also more stringent. But uh, gotcha. let's talk about the show. I just kind of go more or less in order, although I will say I had a lot of time to kill on Thursday. So I ended up going to a Tim Hortons because I had never been to a Tim Hortons. And I saw they had a big sign right underneath their marquee that had a giant Sidney Crosby poster, and it said hockey cards you know, available here. And I'm like, okay. They're not sold out if they have the big Sidney Crosby sign right underneath their marquee sign. So I went in, I bought 10 packs of cards. I bought an album because I'm a sucker for any album. Anytime a set has a dedicated album, like those old pro set albums from the 90s or the Mail Away Opeachy album from 92 or um, any other set that has like a specific album, I'm a sucker for those. So the album was like $16.99 Canadian, but it had like the sewn-in pages. And it actually had enough pages if you completed the entire set, including all the insert sets, 
then there's actually enough pages for them. So it was like a smart design because I remember when Panini put out their Panini Adrenaline XL hockey set, they put them out in albums and there were like not enough pages for the cards. You actually needed two of the albums to fit the whole set, which I think is kind of weak, you know, if you're sewing the pages in. Right. Um, So I bought the 10 packs. I bought an album. I bought a coffee and I bought something called the Toronto Maple Leaf Dream Donut, which was the worst pastry I ever had. I told this story. I did a panel discussion a couple days later. We'll talk about that. But dude, this was the worst. I only bought it because it had a Maple Leaf logo. And I'm like, oh, that would be fun to like photograph and put on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Right. So I took pictures of it. And when I bit into it, I realized right away I had made a mistake because it was like, did it taste like maple is my question. No, that would have been cool. If it was a maple donut with like a maple leaf on it, that would have been perfect. It should taste like maple. They have something called the maple donut and everybody's like, oh, you got to try the maple donut. It's really good. And they should make a maple leaf donut where they just paint on a maple leaf logo on it. And I think that'd be a lot of fun. The dream donut, if you can imagine, hot dog bun filled with whipped cream with vanilla frosting on top and then sprinkles, not coconut. I thought it was coconut, but nope, those were sprinkles. So it wasn't really a hot dog bun. It had a little sweet to it, but it was just not good. It was probably the worst thing I ate all weekend. Like worst, (laughs) least tasty thing. Uh, That's hilarious. I find that story absolutely hilarious. Whether it's the hockey team or the donut, it still leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, it's disappointing. <laughs> you had much bigger expectations, right? Than what you get is just like, oh, huh, you're terrible. You're look, you're looking at the lineup on paper, and you're like, wow, this is a really good donut. Oh, but it tastes horrible. Well, you know what's funny though is that I should have eaten like a third of it and just thrown it out. I had an ex-girlfriend who pointed out to me. She's like, you always finish the food that we order, even if you don't like it. I'm like, well, I paid for it. She's like, yeah, but you complained about every bite of that burrito. Just stop. Just throw it out. Eat something else. You know what I mean? And I was always taught to finish my plate. I kind of carried that habit over into adulthood. So Well, and there's a good reason for that. And, and you and I are of the same generation. And it's because our parents had parents who grew up in the Depression. Yep. So they passed that down. Because that's the thing my grandmother would have said to her kids. And that my mother would have said to me and my sister... So yeah, finish the food on your plate. So you're just like, ah, I paid for this donut. I'm going to finish it or yeah. whatever the heck it was. This you're hot dog there. bun filled with whipped cream. You'll sit there all night unless you finish this. There's starving kids in Africa. Good. Send them this because I don't want to eat it. So the show started at 4. I got in line about 3.45 and I didn't get in until 4.15 because it's just like a typical first day of the show. Everybody's lined up to get in. And just because the show starts at four doesn't mean it really starts at four. It means that the doors opened at four. So unlike the national where you could go and you could get your VIP package right away and then you get in line and then when they open the doors, you could just stampede in with everybody else. This show, it was kind of like the doors opened at four and then people came in and then you showed them your proof of purchase and then they gave you your VIP bag and they put a wristband around your wrist and it still gave you a lanyard, but they made you wear a wristband anyways. And it didn't even get you a beer. It was just like the wristband. They just saw that it, they saw that and they, the next day they would just let you in like early because they saw the pink wristband. 
which we weren't supposed to cut off. I said, hey, can I cut this off at the end of the night and get another one tomorrow? No, no, you're supposed to wear it all three days or all four days. I go, well, what about when I shower? Or like, Is it waterproof? It gets wet. Huh? Shower? You're at a card show. Nobody showers. That's, That's why I don't shower. Don't be ridiculous. No, dude, I have to be the exemplar because I do not want to contribute to the fanboy funk, as we used to call it, when we'd go to Comic Cons in the, the 90s and 2000s. It's a good word for it. Fanboy funk. Yes. Well, you know what though? These are a lot of adults and they tend to be cleanlier, not always, but more so than the 20 to 30-ish fanboy. But anyway, I got there. I went to the upper deck booth to talk to somebody that I knew and to get a raffle ticket. And they're like, oh, we're not giving out raffle tickets until right before the raffle. And I'm like, okay. Then I ran over to the main stage because they were doing a giveaway. And I'm like, ooh, I want to win something at the main stage giveaway. And by the time I got there, the giveaway was over. And it was only like 438 or something. And I'm like, really? Uh, yeah. Then yeah. I go back to the upper deck booth. There were so few people on the Thursday. I'll give you my little award-winning strategy here. If you're going to do any sort of raffle, do it on the first day because there's not a lot of people. So I won. I think almost everybody won something because I think there was like 20 people standing around. Friday, I went to the upper deck raffle and it was like shoulder to shoulder, 10 layers deep around their stage. So I didn't win anything. So the first day is always a good day for a raffle because your odds are much higher. So, you know, I won a box of AHL hockey cards. I did a little shopping, which was nice because there was time to do it because it wasn't that crowded because seems like most of the people that came, came for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You could buy a three-day pass. You could buy a four-day pass. I bought the four-day pass, even though I was not go Sunday, but I was going to go Thursday, and that was the only way to get in on Thursday. So I, I'm glad I went the first day. I felt like four hours wasn't long enough, though. I kind of almost wanted it to be a little longer. But promoters have their reasons for that sort of thing. I know, like, when the Chicago Sports Spectacular, uh, on the first day, they usually go one to eight or something. Or even like the National on the first day, they go like three to eight. But I think VIPs get in at two or something. I might have those times wrong. Do you get well, you the get, idea? It's a little bit longer idea. than yeah. four hours. Right. Especially when the first half an hour is just you waiting to get your pass. Yeah. How are the lines in general for each day getting in? Are they pretty deep? I mean, I did see some pictures and... I always try to compare that to the national because for a hockey collector, that would be our national. So it's like, I look at the, look at the lines of people and I try to compare them. And the last few years at the national, they've been like a glut of people when the doors open, but these looked a lot more spaced out and kind of organized sort of. So I don't know if that's just a Canada thing or what. So the first day, there was a pretty long line going around the building to get in. But I feel like once we all get in, everybody spread out so it didn't feel crowded. Okay. The second day, I honestly, I thought the show started at 1. Even though I wrote, I made a little itinerary that had all my dates and times and things that I needed to remember, including the address of the hotel, my flight time to and from Toronto, et cetera, et cetera. And I wrote down on Friday that the show started at 11. And I go, that, that can't be right. 11 to 8? No, it's probably 1 to 8, right? But then my phone chirped at 11 mm. and it said, welcome to day two of the expo. And I'm like, what? So I like grabbed an Uber and I was there by like, say, 11.15, 11.20. I think VIPs could get in 15 minutes early, so they could get in at 10.45. 
I got there 1115 and I just walked right in. So whatever, you know what I mean? I almost feel like if you try to get in early, you're going to get in, you know, like you could wait in line for an hour and get in at 1105 or you could show up at 1120 like I did and just walk in. Yeah. So at what point is it worth it? And then Saturday, I got a ride with my friends, Paul and Diane. They're from Ohio. They're hockey dealers. They're big hockey fans. So they were there to buy. I've known them for about 15 years, ever since I started collecting cards again. I'd always visit their booth, buy from them, got to know them really well. They were always at the Blackhawks convention. So, you know, just an example of the great friends that you make from the hobby. And so... They're like, oh, yeah, we'll pick you up from the hotel. You're right on the way from our hotel. So they picked me up and we're like sitting in their van and we're like talking. Uh, this was Saturday. So it would have been like 945. And I jokingly said, well, I can get in early because I have the four day VIP pass. But I was kidding. So we're like, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking. Next thing we know, it's like 1015. And we're like, oh, I guess we should go in. We could have gone in 15 minutes ago. But then it was like, yeah, but we never get the chance to talk because now that I'm a dealer, I don't go hang out by their table for an hour like I used to. You know what I mean? Like when you have those friends that are dealers and you just go, oh, have a seat, sit down, you know, have something to drink, you know, and now it's like that I'm a dealer too. I don't get to talk to them. So we were just happy sitting in their van talking and they were like, yeah, it's 10, 15, let's go in. So those last two days, I didn't really like try to get there first. Yeah. I know some people do that because they want to get the best deal. They want to get the rookie card. They want to get the whatever. And you know what? I'm kind of almost of the mindset that if it was meant to be, it was meant to be. What difference is 15 minutes or a half an hour going to make? I'm not even chasing after what a lot of other people are chasing after. Right. And I would think that around here, but up there, I don't know. I'd be like too afraid everybody's going after the same stuff. <laughs> No, and here's the other thing. You know, like when you go to the Chicago Sports Spectacular or the National and there's the cool table that you stay at for like 30, 40 minutes because they just have so much great stuff? Yeah. Well, that was like every other table at this show. And the other table, the one that wasn't necessarily a cool table, was still cool. It was just like, wow, look at that. Three tables of autographed hockey pucks. I don't really collect autographed hockey pucks, but wow. Oh, yes. wow, look at that. All these yeah. old game-use jerseys. Those are out of my price range, but wow. Still cool to look at. Awesome to look at. But then I would, like, go and I'd be like, oh, wow, these guys have, like, old Parkhurst cards from, like, 51 all the way up to 64, old tops, old OPG. And then you'd look and you'd go, oh, man, I could just blow through all my cash at this table. And then you'd go to another table and it'd be like they'd have rummage boxes and some were like dollar boxes, five dollar boxes, some were like three for 20, three for 50. It just depends on the dealer. Honestly, I don't think I gave every table a long look. And that was because I had a lot of agendas. Thursday, I was doing raffles. Friday, I went to the raffle. There was a couple of panel discussions I wanted to see. Uh, Wolf Payment was giving free autographs. You were allowed one free autograph, so I got one free autograph because that was free. Uh, sure. And I like free. Free is good. Free is good. The uh, actors from Slapshot, they were signing Friday and Saturday. There were six different actors from the movie Slapshot that were there. And 
they did a little Q&A on Friday. Really, it was more so somebody was just talking to them and they just kind of talked and they told stories. And, you know, they told stories and that was it. You know what I mean? It was it was almost too short. It was like they were on stage for like 15 minutes. Like not everybody told a story. I know Jerry Hauser, who played Dave Killer Carlson, he told a story. And then... Or uh, one of the guys who played one of the Hanson brothers, he was telling a story about the race cars. And he said that they rented a house and that they set up slot car racing. And, you know, because they had nothing to do and they didn't have a lot of money. And it was just something to do to kill time and have fun. And he said how eventually all the guys wanted to come over and play with the slot cars. They were like telling their wives, oh, we got a team meeting tonight and I have to go. But really, they were coming over to hang out and play with the slot cars. So, that was like the truth that the fiction was based on and them playing with their toys. Was it an actual Q&A or was it the whole thing moderated? Because I didn't get to see this one. Moderated and there were no Q&A from the audience. So when they were coming off the stage, people were stopping some of the actors. Now, I sat front and center and I got some great photos. And I saw Jerry Hauser. And I said, Jerry, may I ask you a question that is not Slapshot related? He said, go ahead. I said, you did voiceover work for the cartoon, the Transformers, and for the cartoon G.I. Joe. And those two cartoons were a very big part of my childhood. And I said, can you just tell me about like how you got those roles and if you have any memories about that or anything? And he said, well... I was an actor and it was just another gig that came to me, you know, as an actor, you're just, you're always trying to find work so you don't turn work down. And he said he was excited that he was going to be a GI Joe character, but he remembers when the action figure of the character that he was voicing came out, basically it's like the character's name is sci-fi and it's like sci-fi is a man of a few words and when he's setting up to take his shot with his laser rifle, he can hold completely still for an hour to like wait for his target. And he goes, so I voiced this character who doesn't talk a lot and doesn't do a lot. So he thought that was funny. And then he said that it was cool that he did something like Slapshot that still resonates with people years later, decades later, and that he did stuff like Transformers and G.I. Joe that resonates with people years later or decades later. And I said, oh, you ever think about going to any of the conventions to sign? He's like, I have, but he's like, it's not like I voiced Optimus Prime. He's like, I voiced Sandstorm in the Transformers, who was kind of a tertiary character. But it was kind of funny that he remembered the characters that he voiced. He talked to me about that. And I asked him if I could take a selfie with him. And he said, sure. So that was awesome. That was really a cool moment. And that's the kind of things that you can't, I mean, I guess you could put a price tag on. It's the cost of admission. But that's the kind of stuff that I tried to do as well. I didn't want to just shop because I complained about card shows being too fixated on just shopping. Not enough opportunity for fan interaction with one another, not enough panels. When I went to the National back in 2019, I remember Tops had a presentation and then they took questions from the audience and the room was packed because people want to talk about cards. 
They want to hear about cards. They don't want to just buy cards. They want to engage with the hobby besides let me open up my wallet and buy these things. So I think there needs to be more of that sort of thing. The Slapshot panel had a good amount of people, but there were empty chairs, you know. So I think a lot of people were just kind of standing and they'd stop by, they'd slow down, they'd walk over. And if it seemed not interesting, they'd walk away. But that panel was cool, but it was not really a Q&A. Shows like this that I've gone to, I mean, nothing like this specifically, but shows where right. they have a stage with guests and, you know, Q&A type stuff or whatever. I always like to look ahead of time at the various lists of who's going to be there and talking about what. And if I could ask myself, like, if I could ask them one question, what would it be? Mm-hmm. You know, if I could ask this guy, if I could ask that guy. and. That's why I wondered if the Slapshot guys answered questions, because my one question would have been to Alan Nichols for his character, because he was Upton in the movie. Yes. And the fashion show scene, I won't repeat what he says, but those that know the movie know exactly what he says when he's talking to McGrath, because he doesn't want to do it, and he hates it. He thinks it's stupid, and it's like the worst idea ever. So I just wanted to know, like, how many takes did that get to not just bust out laughing? (laughs) while you're trying to deliver that line because it's so crazy and classic but it's a family show so i'm not going to repeat it here but yeah those that know the movie know what i'm talking about also another q a that i went to on friday kirk mclean so eric norton who used to be one of the hosts of the fat packs podcast he works for beckett and so he did this discussion with kirk mclean the former vancouver canucks goaltender And, you know, he asked him some questions. McLean talked about his career, talked about playing junior hockey, talked about getting drafted by the Devils and playing some games for the Devils, talked about getting traded, talked about playing for the Rangers later on in his career. And then they took questions from the audience. And I let somebody else ask a question first because there were people there who were like hardcore Canucks fans. And I don't want to be like that guy who raises their hand first. But then when he said, we have time for one more question, I put my hand up and he called on me right away. And I asked Kirk McLean and I said, you had a cameo role in the Mighty Ducks Game Changers TV series. And everybody started chuckling and he said, yes, yes, I did. I said, yeah, you played tournament official. And he's like, yeah, that's right. I didn't even have a name. I was just tournament official. And then he talked about being on that show for a brief scene but you know he's very excited to talk about it he's like oh i had three lines but they were long lines and it was a lot of fun and it was really cool to do and then he talked about something else that he had like a bit part or cameo role in or something like that so that was cool because he geeked out on it as much as i did those are definitely moments to uh i don't want to say cherish but yeah that's the kind of thing those are the memory type things because now you're always going to remember the time you asked kirk mclean about being in the Mighty Duck series. Yeah, but he enjoyed talking about it. The two guys that I asked questions of, I kind of asked them kind of off-the-wall questions that had nothing to do with the reason why they were there, but they still enjoyed talking about it. And by the way, Eric still does the pod. It's just not called Fat Packs anymore. I think it's called Beckett Live. And it's not as frequent as it used to be. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, people move around so much in the hobby. They move from one thing to the next, so. Yeah. It's hard to keep track. So, you know, a couple of people who listen to the show, I got a couple of really nice gifts. I, I can't remember who gave this to me. I'm going to have to 
thank them again. But this guy just, you know, came up to me and he's like, oh, I love the show. And he's like, I know you collect Blackhawks. And then he just gives me this Jonathan Taves autograph. And I'm just like, whoa. Yeah, I know, right? I was so like, wow, can I trade you something for? Oh, no, 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 take it. I know you like Blackhawks. I know you like Jonathan Taves. Jonathan Taves is one of the players I collect. So I was just like, wow. And then another gentleman, he gave me a Brian Campbell printing plate, which I thought was really cool. And then we got to talking. We know that Herb Carnegie was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame this weekend. You know, a black Canadian man who played senior professional hockey. He was teammates with Jean Beliveau, but because he was black, he wasn't allowed to play in the NHL. There was another player around that time named Larry Kwong, who played one minute for the Rangers. He was of Chinese heritage. And so this uh, listener who gave me that Brian Campbell card, he also gave me a Larry Kwong autograph. And this is something I've been looking for for a long time. So I was so grateful about this because I was just like, you know, those cards that you're always looking for, and they just always seem to be outside of your price range when they do show up. They almost never show up. Well, this is one of them. I honestly yeah. didn't even know they made in the game had a autograph of him. That's and, from Heroes and Prospects, right? Yeah, and they also What's, did one of Herb Carnegie. What year was that? Like 2010? Uh, 2010, yeah. Good, good yeah. memory. I just saw the design. It reminded me of the 2010 design. So. Yeah, well, when you could see the design of a Heroes and Prospect card and be like, oh, that looks like the 2010. It's not exactly Sorry. like... No, that's great. It's not like... It Fine, I'm a nerd, letters. okay? <laughs> but no, hey, man, you're a nerd. That's why we do this show, because we nerd out on this stuff. We love talking about all the little details and minutia of card collecting. Friday was a lot of fun, and I got some shopping done. I'll talk more a little bit about what I bought not going to go through every single thing that I bought, you know, and then Saturday, I was busy a lot on Saturday. I got there. I mean, you know, I said I got there about 10, 15, did some walking around, did some shopping. But then at 12 o'clock, Phil Esposito was signing and I had bought a ticket ahead of time to get Phil Esposito's autograph. So he and his brother, Tony Esposito, wrote a book called The Brothers Esposito. It was published in 1971. My mother gave a copy of that book to my aunt as a present. And then when I got into hockey, my aunt gave me the book. And in 91, I got it autographed by Tony Esposito. And I had it all these years. And I know one year I wanted to get it autographed by Phil, but I couldn't because that was in 2016 at the Chicago Sports Spectacular and they had a bunch of Chicago Cubs signing autographs, and the line to get an autograph ticket was ridiculous. Yep, I remember that show. It was crazy. Yeah, you remember that show. And so finally, I got Phil to sign it, and so he and Tony have signed it on the title page, and it's wonderful. This is not for value. I was going to say, from the images there, that looks well-loved. Yes, it is a well-loved book. But this is for sentimental reasons. Did he have any comment signing that, considering so, his brother already signed it? You know, he didn't. And let me run down for you what happened. I got there at 12 o'clock, and Ken Reed from Sportsnet was moderating a panel with Phil Esposito, Yvonne Cornoyer, and Paul Henderson. 
I thought Phil was going to start signing at 12, but they were still doing this panel. Which I watched. Okay. And they did that till 12.15 or so. Then when the athletes came off the stage, everybody was stopping them and talking to them and asking them questions. So Phil probably didn't get over to his table till about 12.30. Well, the line was such a mess that the whole queue was filled. And then it went bright and then it went past Cornwallis queue and Henderson's queue. The thing was those that if you bought a ticket to get autographs of all three of them on the same item, you got to go first. And then if you had a fast pass, you got to go next. Now, because I bought the gold VIP pass that included one fast pass. And I told myself, this is where I'm going to use it because the other autograph I was getting was Peter Bondra. And that was at two. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to use this fast pass for Phil Esposito. So he gets to his table late, and then all the people getting all three autographs get to go. And they also were, like, entitled to a picture. So it was, like, a picture and and an autograph. And I was joking. It was like, you get a picture, you get an autograph. Now they tell you a story. Now they hold your baby. I mean, (laughs) it's like all these whatever, right? And, you know, everybody's getting a little upset because they don't know where they're supposed to stand. Oh, I thought this is the line for the fast pass. No, it's on the other side of the state. Oh, okay, so we got to move over here, right? It was just that kind of thing where it felt like they didn't have enough people directing traffic. Finally, that starts moving, and I end up getting my autograph at about 140, we'll just say. He was only supposed to sign till 130. The guy in front of me was really funny. He was a really cool guy to talk to. He was getting four things signed. And they charge you extra for inscriptions and you could get up to three inscriptions. He was getting four things signed and he got like three inscriptions on each thing. These were like big 16 by 20 photos. And then he's like, oh, can you sign it with this gold pen here? But then sign this with blue over here. And can you write this? And he's like, okay, we're going to do another one. Exact same inscriptions. And he'd repeat. And, you know, I mean, I told the guy before we got up there, I leaned into him and I said, Dude, we waited this long. Take your time. Make sure you get it right. And I was going to be like, no, really. If you're paying a lot of money to get autographs, you want to make sure that it's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because then he, he also said to me, he said, oh, can you take my picture with Phil? And I said, I don't really think that's a good idea, you know, because this line is backed up. And then there's the other line, the non-speed pass people, the regular line. But when we got to the front, the guy was like, no, no photos. You're like, okay. So the dude gets his autographs. And then when it was my turn, I said to the woman who was helping him, I said, could you please have him sign at the top of the page in black ink? He signs it. But as he's like about to sign my book, he says to her, it's almost two o'clock. And she's like, yeah, I know. And I'm like thinking, okay, this is not the time to strike up a conversation. <laughs> so I said, thank you very much. I took my book. And I was happy. And then I had about 15, 20 minutes to kill. Then I went to go wait for Peter Bondra. Now that line was a lot shorter. And if you wanted a picture with Bondra, he would get up. He'd walk away from this table. He'd stand next to the table. He'd put his arm around you and he'd give you a big smile. And he was just, you know, did not have a lot of people in his line, maybe 50. I mean, I think I got out of his line by like 2.30 or 2.40 or something like that because it moved slow because he was taking his time. And I think it was a few minutes late. Not that I'm complaining. I mean, sometimes we're all a few minutes late, whatever. That's life. But he was taking his time and he was being very conversational. And I got a 
team-issued Blackhawk card signed by Bondra, which was like postcard-sized. And I was always afraid to mail it to him for an autograph because I was afraid I'd never get it back because it's such a tough card to find. So I was happy paying to get that signed because I knew I was getting it signed. I knew I was getting it signed in blue. They actually didn't have a blue Sharpie. They had like a blue fine-tipped pen like a marker, but I'm like, oh, I, I, I got a marker, you know, like, because I made that mistake once where I just assumed they were going to have a blue Sharpie and they didn't. And I was bad at myself about that. Uh, it was when I met Chris Chelios and I got a rookie card signed and I didn't have a blue Sharpie. So he signed it in black and he even like inscribed it, Hall of Fame and everything. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> whatever. Life goes on. Yeah, and I imagine logistically speaking, it's not easy keeping everybody on schedule. I mean, I wasn't there. I tried to play along with the live streams, and even that was difficult at times. Yeah, well, and you know, part of it was is that because everybody had spotty to no internet access, the locals may or may not have had internet access. The people like me from the States, I mean, I couldn't use my own data because i have verizon and i guess verizon doesn't work in canada really i I was yeah no i just kind of assumed it would but you know what i had so many things i had to deal with before going to the show and i'm not just talking about packing just all the other stuff that i had to take care of before i left for three four days that i did not have a chance to call my phone company and be like hey my phone didn't work in canada i just figured i'd figure it out and that's what i did so like The hotel, I had Wi-Fi, and it was great. I'd go to Tim Hortons. They had Wi-Fi. It was great. I'd go to eat somewhere. They had Wi-Fi. That was fine. Then I'd go to the show, and they had no Wi-Fi. And, you know, it was funny. I told you my theory of that. What's that? I told you my theory. That the dealers pay extra in order to have the Wi-Fi shut off so people aren't looking at comps in front of their table, and they can just sell stuff and make extra money. Well, that's kind of like what it was like for me when I was selling at the National in Atlantic City. I had fine signal. I was able to comp things. I was able to look at things online, check my email, whatever, which was funny because at that hotel, the hotel had like the worst Wi-Fi ever, where like a page would start to load and then after 30 seconds, it would just freeze. But at the convention center, I was actually catching up on my email that morning, like before the show opened. So, yeah, it was kind of funny as a dealer. I was like, yeah, I don't mind if people can't cop the cards because, right. you know, they want the $100 card for $97 because the last one sold for $98.50 or whatever, right? So it gets right. a little ridiculous. Now, as a buyer, it kind of shot me in the foot a little bit because I'll tell everybody here, I was texting Tim a lot. And, Tim, thank you for your help. In the no moment, problem. it was almost like the Matrix when it was like, Morpheus would be like, Tank, I need the schematics for the building, including the electrical grid. And then Tank would be like, okay, coming up in 30 seconds, right? And, and then Morpheus would have that information. Or like when Trinity was like, Tank, I need operations on how to pilot a helicopter. And then like 10 seconds later, she'd know how to do it, right? That's what I was like. I was like, Tim, I need a comp on a 2019 Ultimate Collection Carter Hart autograph, right? <laughs> I, and I, I had no problem doing that, but then I didn't, the first time I didn't realize it was like an all encompassing, like the data is not working. So I sent you a, like a screenshot 
and it never went through because it was a picture and it wouldn't load. So then I was like, oh, maybe I should just send the text. And that worked. So. And then I'd get back to my hotel and in my phone and be like, bing, 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 bloop, 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 bing, 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 with all the pictures yeah. and the tweets and the replies and the Facebook messages and DMs and stuff. My phone would like blow up as soon as I'd like walk into a restaurant or get back to the hotel. So I'm telling you, that uh, was strategic. Those dealers, they are in cahoots. You know what, though? I mean, the one thing I did was I printed a hard copy of my want list and then I made sure that all my lists were downloaded to my phone. Because I just assumed that the Wi-Fi wasn't going to work. And then what I did was I wrote down quick comps for the 30 Parkhurst cards I was looking for from 1963-64. Actually, I just used the online price guide. I know Beckett prices are not necessarily comps, but they gave me a ballpark. Like, oh, this is an $80 card. Oh, this is a common card. You know what I mean? If Beckett says that this is a common card that sells for 10 to 20 but then a dealer is selling that card for $40. I have a feeling that their price is a little high and I'm not going to pay $40 for a common player, especially when I'd go to another table and somebody would have that same card for $15, maybe not in as good a shape as the other one, but you get my idea. It, it just gives you that benchmark to just kind of know where it's at. I feel like with people who comp things with their phones, they're always trying to get it for cheaper than whatever it's sold for. Unless they're trying to sell you something, then they're trying to get you to pay them what it sold for. Does that kind of sound like a biased but fair analysis? I mean, I follow what you're saying. Everybody's looking for a deal. It's buy low, sell high, and it's coming from both ends. And they're you can't both have it that way. The dealer's not going to get it that way. The, the buyer's not going to get it that way. You got to come up with some kind of compromise. And you know me, I've said for years, you know, the people that walk into these shows and they think that you should automatically get eBay pricing at an in-person show, I think is silly and baseless, but I get it. Absolutely. I understand. Absolutely. I understand, but it's it's just the people that don't think and you don't look at well, the bigger picture, but we could have a whole show about that. <laughs> people forget that eBay, you're going to be adding sales tax and shipping. Well, you can add sales tax and shipping and some dealers on there like to add in their cost into the shipping of how much a bubble mailer costs or an envelope or whatever. Fine. But you're at a show. Okay. You're right. at a show. You're in person. The card's there. You can take it with you right now. And this guy on the other side of the table or girl, whoever it is, spent X number of dollars for their table and how much time and all the other stuff. So it's a totally different expense and it's a totally different marketplace. They're not the same. One dealer that had some cards and they were like three for 50, but one caught my eye and it was like 20 bucks each or three for 50. And I'm like, uh, okay, 20 or three for 50. All right, I'll look. And then I found like 10 other cards that I really wanted. So I ended up buying 12 cards, spending 200 at his table. I was happy with the cards that I bought. But later on, I came back and he had a, a Sidney Crosby beehive rookie, with the red border. Mm -hmm. I said, what do you want for it? It's like 125. I said, all right, let me think about it. I came back to his table later and I said, respectfully, may I ask if you would accept 100 for this card? And I said, and before you say no, and I was going to say, I just spent 200 an hour ago at your table. He cut me off. He said, yes. He's like, that's fine. I got it in a lot and I'm happy with that. Thank you. You know what I mean? He was just like 
super cool about it. I said, oh, and I, I did spend $200 at your table earlier. I said, no, no, I remember you. Yeah, you know, so he was just, he's just like, hey, you know, here you go. Thank you for coming back and making another purchase from my table. And you know what? A lot of people were very friendly and willing to work. But you know what? Later on, I comped that Crosby card and it was anywhere from like 60 to 100. So, you know, what? I gave him the high end on it, but I was happy with paying that because it's Sydney freaking Crosby and it's a red bordered beehive parallel. I mean, I could have been like, oh, I could have gotten it for $60 on eBay. Yeah, $60 plus shipping, then plus tax on the cost of the card and shipping. So 60 becomes 70, 75. And is the it, person going to ship it to you? And did you win it in an auction? And if you did win it in an auction and it wasn't what the guy wanted, is he going to cancel the sale on you? And yeah. this is true. You know what? I never even thought about that. Oh, um, I think about this stuff all the time. I just assumed that if I win a hundred dollar card for seventy dollars, they're going to honor my bid. Yeah, not in this world we live in. No, really. Really. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to be warned about. But you know what? Honestly, like I said, that just felt like the right price to me. I'm not hating you for it. No, but see, that's the other thing, too. Like, I bought a bunch of Parkhurst cards from a guy, and I just said, what could you do for me on these cards? And he said, I could sell them to you for this. Is that okay? I said, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. I couldn't get the money out of my wallet fast enough. Oh, by the way, Canadian money's weird. It's all different colors. It's like Monopoly money. Their $100 bills are like yellow-orange their $50 bills are pink. Their $20 are green, like Monopoly. Their $10 bills are purple. Their $5 bills are blue, again, like Monopoly. And then their $1 and $2 currency are coins. Yeah, loonies and toonies. Loonies and toonies. So it's funny because I was paying one dealer, I think I owed him like $6. And I had like a five and then I reached into my pocket and I just showed him this change. And I said, all right, which of these is worth a dollar? And he goes, wait, you're American? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, well then just pay me $5 American instead of six Canadian. I'm like, there you go, dude. And then I bought some other stuff from him and I'm like, hey, I'll pay US cash. He's like, oh, okay, then this much. And then another guy that I made a purchase from at trade night, which I'll talk about in a bit, he was actually from Chicago and he knows the podcast. Actually, he and his dad <laughs> were there he was a young man in his in his late 20s and his dad, who was also a big card collector. So I paid him U.S. cash because it's just like, why would I give you Canadian cash if you just need to convert it back? You know, I brought U.S. money and that was a good idea. I brought a lot of Canadian money, but I didn't spend everything. And I brought U.S. money. Most of that I didn't spend, but it was good to have options, you know? Yeah. Oh, and then you know what? I uh, Another thing that took up time, I had a panel discussion from 4.15 to 5 on saturday it was about hockey collecting so it was myself it was this dude by the name of brendan aka coach co who does a show called cardboard coaches and then the guys from the hockey card gong show podcast so we had three americans and a canadian talking about hockey card collecting and we tried to keep it light and fun and i mean maybe a little not so light but we didn't want to focus on like, this card is worth this much and this card is worth that much. And if you want to make money in cards, you should do this because there are probably like four or five other panels that more or less did that. Would you agree with that assessment? That talked about what cards were priced and how to invest. Yes, they were all pretty much focused on that when they were talking about the hobby. Those were nauseating to me. 
I said to the guys, I said, hey, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about collecting. Let's share some stories. You know, three of us are American. Let's talk about what it's like for us Americans to collect hockey cards south of the border. You know what I mean? And like, we talked about like what we thought was exciting about what players were going to be exciting to collect and stuff like that. We weren't even talking about like what they're going to be worth, just like what players are standing out to us now. So it was a lot of fun. It was fun. I mean, that's my ego talking, but you know what? I mean, I do a podcast. I'm also a teacher. I talk a lot. I like talking, which is funny because I hate the sound of my own voice, but I like talking. So there's a paradox for you, but it was a fun panel and I'm glad I got to be a part of it because like I said, there should be more stuff about this. And you know what? Honestly, they maybe had 20 chairs set up and maybe 10 people were in the chairs, eh, maybe 15. Four of them were there because of me. In fact, one guy from uh, Edmonton, Laudio Artier, he's the guy who runs the website NHLHockeyStickers.com, which buys and sells hockey stickers. He was wearing the puck junk shirts. I was giving out puck junk shirts. <laughs> I'll say this real quick. When I give out my business card that looks like a pro set trading card in the U.S., most people look at it and go, oh, this is cool. It looks like a trading card. When I give that same business card out in Canada, they go, whoa, this is awesome. It looks like a 1990 Pro Set card. Not only do they get it, but it hits them right in the feels. You know what I mean? In like a good way. Whereas like in the US, it's like, oh, how trite. It looks like a hockey card. Ha ha ha. And in Canada, it's like, oh my God, no way. Context makes a difference. It absolutely does make a difference. Yeah. So, I mean, I was passing those out. And then when people like one guy actually came up to me, he's like, hey, Sal, nice to meet you. I'd like a T-shirt. So your your little uh, prompting people on Twitter worked. I was trying, man. I was trying to promote it saying, hey, somebody go find Sal, get a T-shirt. So I don't know how many I I don't know how many you gave out, but hopefully it was more than two or three. It was eight pounds of T-shirts. You gave out eight pounds? I know this because my luggage, my check-on bag weighed 48 pounds. Wasn't just t-shirts in my luggage, in my checked bag. But on the way back, it only weighed 40 pounds. Now, there were some things that I put in that bag, but mainly I think the only thing I put in there that I didn't bring with me were some empty three-ring binders that Upper Deck was giving away that had graphics on them. Like one said 2021 Upper Deck Hockey, one said 2122 Upper Deck Hockey, one said 2223 Upper Deck Hockey, and it had like pictures of the players on the front and the back. They're D-ring binders. They're very nice. I kind of wish I grabbed more of them, but that was another thing I had to really think hard about was How much stuff am I bringing back? And see, here's the thing. It was definitely a case of my eyes being bigger than my stomach. And by my stomach, I mean my backpack, my gym bag, which was like a big gym bag, but small enough to be brought on the plane with me and fit in the overhead compartment, but really like hitting that maximum size in all dimensions, especially when I stuff it to the gills. And then the suitcase that can only fit so much I mean, there was a guy that had all the Tim Horton sets going back to 15, 16. And I thought very hard about it. And I said, you know what? This is weight. And I mean, already, like, I had bought some sets. I bought a complete 92, 93 OPG set, which actually I do have, but it's a sealed factory set. So I just decided to never open it. 
because I wanted to keep the factory set sealed. I guess it's like having your set and keeping it sealed and having one to open and put in pages, you know? And then another dude, he had like SP authentic sets from like the last couple of years for five bucks each. So if you're at a show and somebody has a SP authentic base set and it's costing you five bucks, do you buy it? If you like base sets that are cheap? I mean, probably. Four cents a card. Are you that cheap? I'm pretty cheap. <laughs> okay. And also you focus, you focus on what you like. And I like SP authentic. So getting SP authentic base sets for five bucks. And then he had like a couple of like McDonald's sets from like the early 2000s that were like five or $10. And I bought two Tim Horton sets from him. I bought this year and I bought last year's team Canada set because they were like 20 bucks each. And I already had the album, even though I bought 10 packs, I'm like, I'm not going to build this set. Not for two bucks a pack that only gets you two base cards and an insert. Not interested. Just give me the set. That's fine. All of these sets started accruing. They started taking up space in my carry-on bags, and they added weight. They were heavy. You know, I was kind of a slow-moving target going through the airport with my luggage. Like, oh, I hope somebody doesn't knock me over because then I'll be pinned by the weight of my own bags. So did you have to pay the extra money on the way back for the weight? No, because the bag that I checked was 40 pounds. So it was actually about eight pounds lighter. So I jokingly said eight pounds of T-shirts, but I gave away about 23, 25 T-shirts. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I stopped at Com C looking for our friend Stefan, who does the About the Cards podcast. Mm-hmm. He works for Com C in the U.S. And in Canada, it was just Tom C. Canada people. And they're like, can we help you? I'm like, oh, I'm looking for Stefan. They're like, oh, you know, he's based in Texas and he doesn't come to shows in Canada. And I said, oh, okay. And they're like, well, can you help you with something? So I introduced myself. And then one dude was like, wait, you're the puck junk guy? I'm like, yeah. He's like... Dude, when I was 10, I saw that video that you put on YouTube about the victory set. And I thought it was hilarious. When I was 10. (laughs) When he was 10. And I I like do the math. I'm like, well, how old are you now? He's like 21. I'm like, yeah, I did put up that video about 10 years ago. And then like another guy walks over and he's like, hey, this is this is Sal, the puck junk guy. He's like, oh, wow, cool, puck junk. I love your site. So I was like talking with these Com C guys for like 45 minutes. That's actually how I ended up closing out Saturday before going to the trade night. You know, last 15, 20 minutes of the show, instead of like me saying, well, nice meeting you guys. I got to go buy some more stuff. We just stood around for like 45 minutes and talked about cards and stuff. It was awesome. Because, of course, the people that work for ComC are going to like cards. And the people who work for ComC Canada are going to like hockey cards. So I almost wish I did more of that. Like, I talked with people. You know, I mean, I talked with Mikey Singer. I talked with Steve Menzie. I talked with Jeff at Upper Deck. You know, I talked with the two gentlemen named Barry and Miguel at com c i did talk to people and that's why i like going to shows like every single day i can because i want to have that time to stand and talk to people and get to know them that guy who gave me that uh, larry kwong autograph i mean we sat we talked for like a half an hour i mean it was awesome to just have the time to do that i felt like i didn't have enough time to shop but that's okay because i'm gonna go back in may when they do the spring expo and it's not just about shopping. I mean, I say I want to have these other interactions. And the thing is, is that because I've been more or less exclusively a dealer these past two years, 
I haven't really had a chance to enjoy a card show other than like a one day hotel type show. So I really loved talking to people. I loved going to the panels. Even like waiting in line for autographs, you start shooting the shit with people and it's a lot of fun, you know, because you get to know people because I always ask people, oh, what are you getting signed, right? And then they have a story about the thing that they're getting signed and then you just hear all this great stuff. It's so much fun. I had a super fun time at the show. 10 out of 10. Despite the Wi-Fi, I still give it a 10, or lack of Wi-Fi. I mean, once you give it a 10, you can't go any higher than that. So unless you're Nigel, then you can go to 11. Right. You know, like, one thing I like, this was such a little thing. One thing that I noticed on Saturday, and I think they did this on Saturday. I don't think they did it on Friday. But in one of the halls, there were two halls, right? There were two halls and then, like, a little connecting hallway well, it was a big connecting hallway. Basically, if you were going from one to the other, it was like a couple minutes. And it always seemed that like either I needed to be at the main stage, which was at the end of one hall, or I needed to be at the dealer area where like Upper Deck was doing their raffles and stuff like that. And that was all at the end of the other hall. And then like in the middle, they called it like the connector. But even in the connector, there were like tables on both sides. And I know in like the one hall that didn't have the main stage, They had music playing, but it wasn't like super loud. It was just like rock music, but it was like fun, upbeat, not too like heavy or too loud. And it actually felt very enjoyable. It almost had like a festival feeling to it. Whereas, you know, like you've been to enough Chicago sports spectaculars or nationals where it's just that crowd noise, that convention crowd noise, you know what I mean? And it can almost become kind of, um, I don't want to say deafening, What's the word I'm looking for? It just feels very like after a while where you just kind of need to get away from it. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's a droning buzz is what it That's is. That's it. Yes. And it just yes. goes and- on and on and on and you have to walk away from it after a while. So that's one of the things I was going to ask. You've been to the National in Atlantic City. You've been to the National in Chicago. As far as like attendance wise, you know, you were there probably on the biggest attended days, Friday and Saturday. I've been to nationals before where you could easily walk around. Of course, those are more recent ones with the pandemic and everything. But previously, I mean, in all the years of going, there's been days where you couldn't even move down some of the aisles. There were so many people at some of these shows. Was it like that there? It was kind of crowded at the on Friday and Saturday. Yes, there was definitely where like you couldn't get into a table because there were just people all around it. And see, the only reason why I ask that, I've seen a lot of pictures from the floor from the various days, and most of the pictures that I see are all, it looks like there's a lot of room to move. And so I was like, huh, it made me wonder if, you know, if it had the same kind of, for lack of a better word, glut of people. So, yeah, I mean, it's good to know that they're well attended, regardless of where they're at, whether it's in the United States or Canada or wherever. You know, I even saw pictures of a, a card show over in Europe, you know, this past weekend that people were posted online. It looked jam-packed with people. Mm-hmm. So obviously the hobby is doing well, regardless of what little niche you find yourself in. And I think that's proven with more of these shows that they have and the more people that keep going to them and attending them. So anyways, I liked the music that they put in, that it kind of felt more almost like an not an outdoor festival, but it kind of felt more like a festival. You know what I mean? It felt very like, I don't know. It just, it was nice. It felt happy. 
does that make sense? Like, it felt like I was in my happy place because I was buying hockey cards and I was buying hockey cards and as with other hockey fans and hockey fanatics and hockey collectors. But then there was also this music that just kind of made the room feel nice. I liked it. I, I know I'm going on and on about this, but it was just, it was so different. And I think that's what I appreciate when they do these things to make it more fun. So note to self, if you ever promote a show, hire a live band. You know, and it's funny, too, because, like, you run into people. Like, I shared an elevator ride with Pete Mahavlich. Nice. And I was sitting at a table with two of my friends, and this guy asked if he could sit. Is this older man. And it turns out he played junior hockey on the line with Bobby Hull and Stan Makita. Wow. Yeah. You know, so I said to him, I'm like, oh, you were on the TPs. He's like, yeah, you knew that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, St. Catherine's TPs was a junior team. And, you know, we talked and he talked about like many years ago, they had a photo of the three of them playing for St. Catherine's and like he was signing the photo. But like everybody knew who Bobby was and who Stan was. But they're like, who the hell's this guy? Right. Because he didn't play in the NHL. He ended up going to play in Europe um, in the 60s. But, you know, just talking to him, that was cool. And then I'm like, having breakfast in like the hotel restaurant and like two of the dudes who play the, the Hanson brothers were down there having breakfast. It's like you've died and gone to hockey heaven. Pretty much, man. I mean, it was fun. Honestly, really my only complaint was the lack of Wi-Fi because they told us download the app so that you'd get notifications about things. But I got uh-huh. all of those notifications when I got home. Then it'd be like, now signing Theron Fleury, now signing Kirk McLean. You know what I mean? So like all of the notifications that the app was sending me, I'd, I'd get them when I got back to the hotel. Can I make a comment about the old app? So I have the app as well. And I have the notifications turned on because <laughs> my goal was to take a gander at all of the different things going on at the main stage because that was supposed to be part of the app lo and behold that once the events all started and they were broadcasting live from the stages the app didn't work in fact the app never worked the entire weekend so it was kind of pointless to download from my phone um i kind of suspect that it's an android thing even though they have an android version of the app it just wouldn't work and i tried to reset all of the settings on it to different video programs to output the video, nothing worked. I'm not sure if it worked on an iPhone because no one has an iPhone in the house at the time. So I didn't really check on there. So maybe it worked on iPhones probably did. Cause there were a few people making comments, but all my comments were the video's not working. Can somebody help me? And no one ever, ever answered on the app at all. That was my first grade. Second, I found it. I had to go through Facebook. I had to click on the link on their Facebook page and go through the live stream through the Loom. I guess they have a Loom app thing that corresponds to like a YouTube live session. So it takes you to the YouTube screen and you're watching on YouTube, right? Every time I get a notification on the app, I go to the live stream. And it would say, now on stage, blah, 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 whoever it is. And I'd go to the live stream and nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'd sit there and I'd wait 
couple minutes, nothing. 10 minutes, 15 minutes sometimes, nothing. So by the time the feeds would actually load, I'm guessing they were after the fact. I don't know that it was actually truly live streaming. I think it might have had a delay. 10, 15, maybe longer minutes from the time that the app alerted you that something was happening versus what actually was happening. I was also getting the notifications for when people were signing. So if I'm getting notifications that somebody's on the stage and then I go to the live stream and no one's on the stage and it's sitting for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or maybe longer, I'm thinking I'm still getting notifications that people are signing autographs. Well, so are the people in the place. And if people are having a hard time getting actual notifications and data and accessing the internet, if you're getting notifications and it's 10 minutes after the fact, 15 minutes after the fact, and you bought an autograph ticket and you should have been in line already, I mean, hopefully they were making announcements in the place and you weren't just relying on the app to notify you of things because if somebody's coming up to sign, they send out the notification and because of data packet issues and stuff, people aren't getting those notifications until 15 minutes later. That's an issue. Friday, they were not announcing when people were signing and Saturday they were. Okay. So there's your answer. Because on Friday, I said, well, it's nice they're not shouting out every 10 minutes like in Chicago or like a national. No signing tickets, 1, 2, 30 for Cecil Fielder or whatever, right? So they didn't do that Friday. But on Saturday, they would say now signing on the main stage there in Flurry. Yeah, you're walking the floor. You're talking to people. You're engaged in stuff. You're looking at stuff to buy, everything else. Not everybody's digging for their phones every five seconds to see if they're getting an alert about something going on. So having those announcements obviously helps internally. But me as an outsider looking in, I wasn't concerned about who was signing because obviously I'm not there. But I was trying to actively watch the live streams. And it was so weird because you'd look at the schedule and you'd be like, okay, it's two o'clock. You know, one o'clock my time. And I'm sitting here and there's no one on the stage. My alert says somebody was on the stage, but they're not there. And I'd sit and sit and sit, nothing would happen. And so then eventually there'd be something on there. That was one gripe I had with the whole app thing as an outsider looking in. And I understand it's the show, go to the show, attend the show, be at the show. Well, I didn't have that luxury. So this is the best I could do. They wanted people to watch it. They wouldn't stream it if they didn't want people to watch it. Exactly my point. If you're going to spend the money and put in the infrastructure in order to be able to do this, I'm all for it. But make it work. Work out the kinks. Use the Wednesday day, the preview day or Wednesday or Thursday or whatever to work out all the kinks in it so that you know that it's going to function correctly. I was thinking that if you were having the data problems and everybody's having Internet problems, maybe they were having problems streaming, too. Because I noticed on a few of the videos, it would lock up. Or it would buffer. Quite a few of uh, Eric's interviews would buffer. They got so annoying that I would just stop them, wait for five minutes, and then back up the video and just play it. So it would stop buffering because it would do that live. And it was kind of getting annoying. So from what I understand, I believe this is the first time they've attempted to live stream stuff from the expo. And I think it's cool. I think they should do that from the national. I think they should do it for 
the industry summit. I think they should do it from any of the big shows, you know, the Dallas show, the White Plains show, any of the bigger shows across the country that they have other things going on other than just walk up to a dealer table and sort through cards. If they have guests, if they have Q and A's, if they have any of that, it should all be available. I mean, with the hobby as big as it is and how much focus has been put on it over the last couple of years. And yeah, I know everybody's complaining that prices are going down and, Oh, we're losing money and blah, blah, blah. No, there's still a big part of it that has collectors engaged. And I think that would help, especially if you don't have the wherewithal or means to get to a show like this. Like there was no way I could go to Toronto and be at this show as much as I would love to, I would do it. I don't go to the national every year, but I go when it's in my backyard. I've never been to White Plains. I've never been to the Dallas show. I've never been to a show out West, except when I lived in Vegas. And well, that's a different story, but you know what I'm saying? So this is a way that you can actively participate in things and jump into some of the chat rooms and talk with other collectors and stuff. You and I did it with the virtual expo and it was great. We had people come and talk with us all the time throughout the weekends, throughout every show, you know, hang out. We talked hockey cards for like three days straight at both times. And it was, it was awesome. It was a great, great experience to do. And for people that can't get to these shows, I think this is a way to, to open it up. So it was kind of annoying. I get it. I figured this was like a trial run thing and they hadn't tried it before. And this was kind of like a new thing for them. So I'm all for it. They just got to work out the kinks for it better. The other complaint I have, the content wasn't entirely long enough. And I get it. There's other things going on and people have to be certain places. Some of those Q and A's with the various uh, people that were up on the stages. I mean, it was bare bones minimum as far as what content was made available for some of those discussions with people. And I don't know how many of them you actually caught. I wasn't able to access any of them on Friday, but I watched them all on Saturday and most of the ones on Sunday. And I gotta tell you, I wanted way more than that. And Mm -hmm. so for instance, okay. So they had, Von Cornwallis, Paul Henderson, and Phil Esposito up on stage, mm-hmm. all discussing the 72 Summit Series, telling stories, that kind of stuff. That's great. They were up there for a little while, told some stories, you know, did some stuff, got to the point where they were asked questions from the crowd. There were a few questions from the crowd. That one was kind of well-timed, and I think it worked out, you know, fairly well, and it was kind of entertaining. When you got beyond that, like Mike Madonna was up there talking. Legion of Doom was up there talking. Errol Thompson was up there talking at one point. Um, they had Daryl Sittler up there talking. Those were so fast. Mm-hmm. Like they were done in a three, four minutes. And you looked on the schedule and you're like, oh, we got a Q&A with Mike Madonna. It's supposed to go for 15 minutes. It was over in like 10. You know, Errol Thompson's up there. supposed to talk for 15 minutes. It was over in like six minutes. And it's like, if you missed any of it, it's gone, done and over with. If you were five minutes late, over. And I felt like there should have been more, you know, more involved with those. And most of those didn't get questions from the crowd. And that's why I asked, you know, how many people were at your portion of it when you were up there talking? Because I don't know that there were that many people in the crowd to even ask the question. Mike Madonna had a few. The Legion of Doom had a bunch. But Errol Thompson, Yeah, okay, I get it. He played a long time ago, and some people probably don't even know who he is. But still, 
this is a this is a hockey great. You know, there can't be like one question that somebody wants to ask the guy. You know, Daryl Sittler up there. There should be like a thousand people waiting to ask questions. See so. now with Sittler and Thompson and Wolf Payment, they should have had the three of them doing a panel. They were signing on different days and at yeah. different times, but I would have tried to get the three of them because they're all Maple Leafs from the seventies. Maybe they didn't all play together. They might've been teammates, but they kind of all played within the same era. That would have made it more fun. Yeah. But, yeah no, I, and I agree with you. It, I mean, it, the banter between Corn YA, Henderson and Esposito was hilarious. I mean, yeah, listening to those I, three talk. I agree. And, and, BS I thought with this, each other. Yeah, and I thought the story that they told because they were asked, you know, one of the questions was what it was it like playing in Russia back then, you know, and having everywhere they went there was like armed guards with machine guns, like right. watching every move they make and like eyeballing them like they were gonna steal the queen's jewels, and it was like, um, I think during that conversation, I, I think uh, it was Paul Henderson that said something like the biggest mistake they made was take our beer away. <laughs> Once they did that, oh, yeah. it was on. And I thought yeah. that was hilarious. And that got a good chuckle from the crowd. But that kind of stuff is great. And I get you want to have some exposure with the quote unquote influencer type people and that kind of stuff. But the future of the hobby panel gag. Like, literally, I could throw up just thinking about it. The hobby content creator panel that they had, nauseating. Like, seriously. And regardless of your opinion of the people that were on them, the whole idea behind them was ridiculous. I think they were absolutely ridiculous. And there's a better way to do that, and there was a better way to present it, and I don't think they did that the way they should have. Everybody's heard my opinions of some of these people and i don't have to repeat them but another thing that was kind of and i know i'm nitpicking but all the kids case breaks they got to get a better moderator for those i'm sorry okay <laughs> that was rough it was really rough and i heard some comments from people afterward on social media about how disorganized a few of them were i don't know how the one went on sunday because i didn't watch that one but the one on Friday and one on Saturday I watched and I saw comments about how, you know, there were mix ups on who was supposed to get what cards and what was being handed out and were they going to get base cards and this, that, and the other. Again, all things that should have been figured out well ahead of time. But again, if this is all new and you're going to broadcast and do all this kind of stuff, you got to work out the kinks. So maybe going forward, maybe the spring show will have, you know, will be a better Better setup for us outsiders that don't get a chance to travel north. So I should probably talk about trade night because we haven't talked about that yet. So trade night was $25 to get in. It was run by a company called Mint Inc. The grading company? They're a store. Okay. Yeah, not so. Mint Grading, no. And then Breaks After Dark, which I think they sponsor that or something. That was on the gift bag that they gave. And actually, they gave a pretty cool swag bag for the trade night, which included a break mat, which included like a card stand and a T-shirt, which mine was a little too big. So I gave it to somebody else. But they gave some cool bags when you got in. And you got a drink ticket, a food ticket, and a raffle ticket. 
if you weren't getting alcohol, they didn't care. Like I was like, hey, can I have an orange juice and a water? They're like, sure. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't going to get the booze because I'm not really a big drinker. Then the food ticket, they got a chain of pizza restaurants called Pizza Pizza, which I just thought was Little Caesars in Canada because what does Little Caesar always say? Of course. I mean, pizza, 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 right. But it wasn't. They're not the same. And their pizzas is, I'd say, better than Little Caesars. That's not a what? hard it's not That's hard to pull off. Bar. Yeah, I was going to say. We're, we're like, we're aiming way down here now. Yeah, right, exactly. But you know what? They're like, you only get one slice of pizza with your ticket. But then after everybody had pizza, then they just didn't care. Like once everybody got a slice, then they didn't care if you came up and you got seconds or thirds or whatever. And they had a DJ playing and it was not annoying. It actually made the room feel fun and festive it wasn't just that din of crowd noise i gotta tell you man music really helps these things because that din of music crowd helps noise, everything it does it really does and you know that because you're a musician that's right so they had the lights dimmed just a little bit but it wasn't like you couldn't see anything it wasn't like dark in there it wasn't like they were trying to do shit with like lights and smoke machines and stuff it was just like there was music playing the lights were a little bit sedated but still bright enough that you could see everything very well. I guess the lights weren't overwhelming. It didn't feel like a bright ballroom where you just walk in and you're just like, eh, everything's so bright. It felt nice. It was comfortable. The food was good. There was drink. There was music. Everybody was super friendly. They had tables out. They had long tables that already had tablecloths on them. And then they had like the high cocktail tables that were round. So some people set up their cards on the big, tall, round tables. I wanted to sit because I had a long day. So I found a couple of nice guys from Toronto who were taking up half a table. And I'm like, hey, can I use that other half of the table? They're like, oh, yeah, man, no problem, right? So I sat down and I threw out my cards. And I only made three trades. I made two trades with one person and one trade with another person. It was like everybody who put their cards out on the table, so to speak, didn't want to walk around to other tables. They kind of expected everybody else to come to them. And then you had people with their cases in their hands walking around. But then you'd have people walk around like when things got slow or, hey, can you watch my table? I'm going to go look at their stuff. So that was definitely a situation where I wish I was set up with a friend. Like if it was you and me, I could be like, hey, Tim, I'm going to go stretch my legs. Can you watch my stuff? And then I'd come back and then you'd go walk around. You know what I mean? Like it would have definitely worked better if you were partnering with somebody or working in a tandem or something like that. Sure. So I could have probably made more trades if I walked around. I really didn't want to walk around. I was tired and I had my t-shirt out because I was trying to promote the podcast, the website, the blog, you know, all of that. Passing out business cards, passing out stickers. Really was more interested in recruiting people to listen to our show and check out the blog. Nothing wrong with you know, shameless self-promotion. No, that's why I was there. I mean, I kept telling myself, I'm here to promote myself. I'm here to promote the podcast. I'm here to promote the blog. But I'm also at trade night to make trades and to get rid of things I don't want. And I did get rid of a few things that I didn't want. But I was a little disappointed that I didn't make more trades. Nobody really wanted to buy. And then it kind of got a little obvious where, like, everybody was fixated on one card that I had out there. You know, oh, what do you want for that card? Well, I could do this. Well, maybe you could do that. And it's just like, it's like, Which no, I, it? I, 
it was a Mitch Marner autograph jersey card Ooh. numbered out of like 25 or something Ooh. and uh, I was in Toronto so I knew yeah, that this would be the place to trade it but the thing is is that nobody offered me like one card for it it'd be like well I'll give you these three cards and it's like no nah, that's okay you know that's the thing you want to make a trade that you feel good about right or they'd say, what do you want if I paid you cash? And I'd say this much. And they're like, would you take that much? And I said, you know, I respectfully decline. I'm going to just take this home and it's going to go right back in my display case. Yeah, if you pay like, me yeah, in American dollars instead of your funny, crazy Monopoly money. Monopoly money, right. One thing I did pick up at trade night, I picked up two lower end Justin Fields rookie cards, which was nice. That's off the grid. He's off the grid, but... This kid who came up to me with this bro case, he was a football collector. I had a box of CFL football cards from 2020. So we worked out a trade for that box because I didn't want the CFL football cards. He was a big football collector. He didn't have any hockey cards for trade. I'm like, well, what do you got, right? Oh, you got some Justin Fields cards. All right, let's wheel, let's deal. Actually, he did collect a little bit of hockey because also traded him like a a hockey card of like a senator's player that I would never be able to get rid of in Chicago. Another highlight was I traded a couple of like low end Maple Leaf cards, but one numbered Austin Matthews card from stature. And I traded those for a Matt Boldy young gun. So I now have one upper deck card from this year and it's Matt Boldy. Nice. That's a good one to have. I figured that, if I trade for Matt Boldy, actually, that very same card was printed on my VIP gold pass. Like, if you got a gold, silver, or brown pass, they had different players printed on them. I don't know who was on the silver or bronze pass, but Boldy was printed on the gold pass. And I uh, I figured out, you know what? He had this card. He wanted to trade for it. And we agreed to the terms, made the trade. And it was good. I kind of wish it was more like that. It was almost kind of like I had a good Maple Leafs card that got traded and I had a sealed box of CFL cards and that got traded and then like a few smaller things. But I really brought a lot of cards that I wanted to move and nobody was interested. Everybody just wanted high end stuff. Like they'd come to me, they'd be like, well, I want to trade, but all I have are these thousand dollar graded cards. You know, and they say like, I'm playing checkers and you're playing chess. But then it was like marbles and chess. You know, it didn't even use the same board. At least checkers and chess use the same board. When you have like $5, $10, $20 cards that you want to get rid of, make me an offer. I'll take your Canadian money for them, whatever, right? Trade me some Blackhawks. Trade me something that I'd like. And they'd just be like, well, I got these graded young guns. It's like, oh, can't do anything there. So I was kind of like, almost too small of a fish to be at trade night. You know, I would have been, I'd hear, How? Hey, I got these grip. Nope. I'm out. They wouldn't even get the sentence out. Yeah. They'd say, yeah. and you'd be like, Nope. Yep. And they'd say Gretzky. You'd be like, I'd Oh, still, I'd still say, Nope. <laughs> they were saying Grizzlick. Yeah. Oh, they were well, saying definitely. Gunsel. Yeah. Every half an hour, they were doing a raffle. Like the second or third time they called out numbers, I won. 
So they're like, 885, 885. And then I just go, yes. And then everybody starts laughing. And then I run up to the stage and I'm like, yeah. Like, because some people, like, they, they'd win a raffle prize and they just kind of walk up and people kind of like half heartedly clap. So I like ran up there screaming and everybody's like cracking up. And then he's like, you win a box of 2021 SP Authentic. And he hands it to me and I like drop to my knees and I hold it above my head like the Stanley Cup. And like people are cracking up. And then I get up and then I start to run away. And then the guy with the microphone's like, wait, wait, come back. You won another prize. And then I came back and then he gave me this other prize, which I ended up getting rid of because it was too big to take on the plane. It was a 20 by 24 picture of William Nylander. It was like a composite of like different photos and it was autographed and it looked nice, but A, it's William Nylander. B, it's a Maple Leafs player. C, I don't care. D, it's too big to bring back on the plane. And E, who am I going to sell it to in Chicago? And so F, I, was just saying, I don't care because you can't F, emphasize but, that part enough. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. Yes, they were in Toronto, but they were giving out those big prints because they came in these giant mailer boxes, like flat, wide, long boxes. They weren't rolled. They were flat. And they came in top loaders and they came with the COA. So, I mean, they were nice. And I guess if you're in Toronto, you give away Toronto stuff. But, like, they gave away so many of those. I'm surprised they just didn't pass them out to everybody in the room. Everybody had one of those big white envelopes at the end of the night, it seemed. But... You know what? Don't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? It was free. You know, it was a prize. Even if I didn't win a raffle prize, the $25 for trade night was a lot of fun. You got a lot of fun, quirky things in the gift bag. You had the opportunity to, like, trade with other people. There was food. There was drink. There was music. It was a nice environment. It was three hours long. They provided the tables and the chairs. I thought it was great. Yeah, it sounds great. I'm jealous. Um, I'm trying to hold back my jealousy because I'm I don't like you very much right now. But don't like cool. me. Yeah. Because oh. I'm jealous. It's all my jealous rage that's pent up inside and I'm I'm swallowing down to the depths of my knees. Cause I <laughs> wish I, I wish I would have gone. I used to hear of people like going up to these shows long distance like that and buying a bunch of crap and then just setting it up to mail back to them. And I know the postage costs have skyrocketed, but you know, if you ever consider that like everything you buy, just boxing up and UPS into yourself, you know, maybe on a future date and maybe if I was leaving on a weekday and not on a Sunday, Yeah. but you know what? The first time you go somewhere and you do something like this, you're going to make mistakes. I mean, mistake number one, I had a typo on my plane ticket that I didn't realize till the night before. And so I had to get to the airport extra early and get that fixed. And that mistake cost me $90 to fix. Jeez. Yeah, because they're like, well, you're flying international, so they won't let you into Canada if your name on your passport doesn't match your boarding pass. And then after some phone calls in 15 minutes and me standing there trying not to cry because all night I was like, oh, God, I can't fix this. And I tried everything I could to fix it online and and I couldn't. And so I'm like so worried, like, am I going to get turned back? Are they going to say, you know what I mean? Like that cost me 90 bucks. And then when I got out of the airport, I didn't know they had a a free shuttle to the hotel. So I took a cab, but I took one of those fancy cabs and it was $26 because I didn't know any better. There's just a bunch of taxis in line, and they said, take that cab. And then it was like literally a five-minute ride, and I paid $26. 
And well, no, I paid 25 because I didn't have a single. And so then the guy let me slide on the dollar, but he was very mad. He's like, well, you owe me a dollar. I'm like, dude, you're charging me $26 and you drove for five minutes. He's like, well, I told you the price. I said, yeah, I kind of assumed it would be longer than a five-minute drive, but okay. So, I mean, already I'm off to a great start. So, yeah, I made some mistakes. You know, I didn't know what restaurants to go to the first night I was there. So I ended up just eating in the hotel restaurant, which was kind of overpriced. But I felt really cool just saying, yeah, just charge it to my room. So that was almost worth it right there. Yeah. You live and learn, right? You know, somebody who listens to our show, he came up to me and he said, hey, you know, I didn't know about the Cardophilium set, Hall of Fame set. I just listened to that podcast. He said, it sounds like an awesome set. He's like, I found it at the show. And he was super excited because he was excited because he learned about that set from our podcast. And then he went to the expo and he bought that set. And so he was just like so geeked about that. And then the other thing is, is that I actually found the Legends of Hockey postcards that I needed. I needed four of the five series, and I literally bought them from the Hockey Hall of Fame. They had a table set up there. They were selling a lot of, like, shirts on clearance for, like, five bucks. So I got, like, an induction class of 2018 shirt for, like, five dollars. It just has the logo and their names on it. They had, like, a lot of shirts and stuff like that for, like, five bucks. And then they had these cards, which actually were not cheap. But I got the four series that I needed. And I got seven Parker's cards. And I got a few other things, like a Stan Makita autograph and a Winnipeg Jets team set from 84-85 and a Calgary Flames team set from 85-86. I'm talking about, like, team-issued cards from, like, either the team or, like, Red Rooster or something like that. Which yeah. I would have found way more of that stuff if I had the time. Like, there was a guy selling all junior sets, like, from the 80s. I just did not have the time and the chance to go through that. But that's my jam right there. Like, oh, you have a Kitchener Rangers set from 80-81. That's the kind of stuff next time I'm going to try to spend a little more time looking for. But, you know, so I did make some mistakes. I could have used another day there. I could have not paid $26 for a cab ride. I could have probably known some of the restaurants a little better maybe gone a day early and explored the city, but whatever, you know what? There's always a next time. So I'm looking forward to next time. Speaking of next time, we should wrap this up. Yeah, we should. So any last thoughts? Other than my jealousy that's raging through me right now, like the lava flow from now newly activated volcano. I'm good. I'm good. All right. Well, before Tim rage quits this podcast, I guess we should wrap it up then. So thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to write us a review on Apple iTunes Music. Give us a follow. Tim's on Twitter at TheRealDFG. I'm at Puck Junk on Twitter. And until next time, collect what you like. Peace out. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.